Praise the Lord. Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 19. In just a moment, I'll read verses 1 and following. And uh, this morning, we continue our series on the Holy Spirit. And I want to start a little study. I've been preaching differently than I normally do. Normally, I take a text of Scripture, one text of Scripture, and I explain it, illustrate it, and apply it. And that's uh, my go-to. That's called expository preaching. But there's also a thing that sometimes you need to do, which is topical preaching. And both can be biblical as long as you don't take verses out of context. And so I am trying to talk to us about the fact that we are in a spiritual war, and we've been in one ever since the Garden of Eden. The devil started it, if you will, and we've been in it ever since. And we need to know how to operate and how to function in this Christian life. It is not that you get saved and then everything's okay until you get to heaven. It's you get saved and you wake up and you get punched in the mouth by the enemy and you're wondering, what is going on? Why is my family, now that I've gotten saved, why am I having these troubles? Why am I having this adversity? Why am I having these problems? Because when you receive Jesus, you receive the arch enemy of the devil. And the, the Jesus in you is what the devil hates. He hates Jesus Christ because the devil wanted to be the one that was primarily worshiped. But you see, we can't worship the devil because we've got to worship and we get to worship Jesus Christ. And he knows the truth that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, not to him. That's what he would want. But he knows that's not going to happen. He knows that we're all and everybody in the world eventually will bow their knee before Christ and confess him as Lord. Now, if you wait until the coming of Christ to do that or death, it's too late. But if you do it now, you can be born again. So I just thought today we take a little time and study the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And again, just as I say about Christ, the Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father or God the Son. He is a divine person. He's not just a divine force. He is not just the power of God, although he is the power of God. He's also the God of power. You need to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person, and you need to be good friends, if you will, with the Holy Spirit. You need to know him. You need to love him. He exalts Jesus Christ. He doesn't go around exalting himself. And sometimes, consequently, we don't talk as much about him. Uh, I believe the Holy Spirit is by far the most misunderstood, misrepresented, and ignored person of the Trinity. And he's ignored in churches. We talk about the Father. We talk about Jesus, the Son. But many times we just leave out the Holy Spirit. When's the last time 
you heard a teaching on the Holy Spirit? When's the last time you heard a song about the Holy Spirit? And so the Holy Spirit is many times ignored. He's also misrepresented. A lot of people blame what they do on the Holy Spirit. Well, the Spirit made me do it. Well, <laughs> which Spirit? <laughs> you know, if you start uh, preaching heresy and blame it on the Spirit, well, it's the Spirit of the devil, not the Spirit of the Holy Ghost, because the Holy Spirit only honors truth. He's the Spirit of truth. And so many times people talk about, you know, God, the Spirit showed me this, and it's not according to Scripture. The Spirit will never go against the Word of God, which He inspired, all right? And so there's a lot of stuff out there that just because somebody says, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, doesn't mean they're on track. Make sure that they tether whatever they talk about to the Word of God. Amen. You'll never get far away from God if you stay close to His Word. So let's pray in just a minute, and just we're going to talk about who is the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we praise you. Teach us about the Holy Spirit, I pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, you come. Teach us about yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, Paul was doing his thing. He was a missionary, and he went to Ephesus, and he met some people who claimed to be disciples, but as he interrogated them, as he discussed with them the things of God, he found out they weren't disciples of Jesus. They were disciples of John the Baptist. Now, this was a time where there was a transition. There were still people who were hanging on to the teachings of John the Baptist, but had not gone on to the one that John the Baptist pointed to, and that was Jesus, all right? And so it was just a kind of an awkward thing here. And we read about it in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, that's a great preacher of the gospel, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. I've been to Ephesus twice. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, with all due respect, uh, some of our Pentecostal brethren, and I, I love everybody in the body of Christ, so don't think I'm beating anybody, but they will take the King James Version there, and it says something to the effect, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Well, that's not what the original text says. The original text says, and I quote, we, it says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And what, he, what he's saying there is, not since you believed, but when you believed. That's the issue. The moment you get saved, the Spirit of God, let me just go ahead and tell you, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, he literally baptizes you into Christ. And we'll look at that verse before we're through with the verses on the Holy Spirit. But look at me just a second. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is the only definition of Holy Spirit baptism in the Bible. And here's what Holy Spirit baptism is. It's not a second blessing. It is the ultimate blessing of salvation. And what it means is, he says, he baptizes you into Christ. He takes you and he plunges you into Christ. And then he fills you with the Spirit. If, let me just say, it's spiritual 
Salvation is drowning in Christ, all right? That may sound crude, but that's exactly what. He pushes you into Christ, and then he fills you with the Spirit. That's what he baptizes you with the Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever heard about the old preacher that said, I, I held them down under the water until they said tithe, all right? No, I'm sorry. But anyway, I should, you know, these things come to my mind. And sometimes I, sometimes I let them out, and sometimes I don't, all right? So if that offended you, I don't want to let her. I was just kidding, all right? But anyway. But <laughs> the Holy Ghost pushes you into Christ until you drink fully of Christ. And Christ is in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. I think those are some Baptists, don't you? I never heard of the Holy Spirit. I'm, again, I'm kidding. I don't want any letters on that either. He said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. Oh, he said, I get it. You only have the message of John the Baptist. John the Baptist didn't go all the way. Not that he, he went as far as he could, but he was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And now there's a new covenant. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that takes into effect that they gave their hearts to Christ. They received Jesus. They repented of their sins, believed in Christ, received him. They were baptized in his name. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them just like he had come on the Jews on the day of Pentecost. And they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. Those gifts were just evidence that Christ had really come into their lives and there were in all about 12 men. So, let's talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit, okay? Okay. First of all, I'll give you some biblical names for the Holy Spirit and I know that there's a long list. We're not gonna uh, tarry with that very long, but uh, we are gonna just go forward and, and ask the Lord to help us with all that. But... I want you to take these home. I'm not going to do a lot of commenting on these first few uh, names here. You go home and take, you want a really good Bible study this week. I have people all the time saying, what Bible study do you recommend? Well, I recommend the one that works for you. And this could really help you this week. So take some time and study these, all right? Let, let's look at some Old Testament names of the Holy Spirit. There are at least 12 of these. Uh, mentioned in the Old Testament. There might be more, but these are the primary ones. First of all, the Holy Spirit is called in the Old Testament right out of the gate. I mean, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the Spirit of God. The Bible says the Spirit of God was moving, literally brooding like a, a, a mother hen over the surface of the waters. The Spirit of God was assisting in creation. And I think that's very important because when we are recreated in Christ, we're born of the Spirit, born of the Spirit. So he created and he recreates in the New Testament. But the Spirit of God is, I mean, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit of God was brooding. He was hovering over the, he was watching and helping Jesus and the Father create a cosmos out of chaos, all right? So that's what was going on, Spirit of God. 
And then the Spirit of the Lord. Judges chapter 3, verse 10 is just one of the many times the Spirit of the Lord is used. And it says that it came upon Othniel. I know that all of you are aware of who Othniel is. Othniel is one of the judges, obviously, and he judged God's people, but he didn't do it until the Spirit of God came upon him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And then I love this one, God's good spirit. Nehemiah, and by the way, we don't pronounce that correctly. You, uh, I found out in Israel, they, they say Nehemiah. Go up to somebody and say, is the book of Nehemiah in your Bible? They'll say, you've lost your mind. It's Nehemiah, all right? But anyway, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 10. In his day, the people prayed and reminded God that he had formerly helped and taught his people, and they wanted him to do the same for them. And he said to them, you gave your good spirit to instruct them. Go read Nehemiah. Excellent book. And then another phrase is God's Holy Spirit. When David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband Uriah killed, he prayed to the Lord in Psalm 51 verse 11, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. So the Holy Spirit. Now, in Isaiah 11 verse 2, it's a very interesting verse. I think there are like six references to the Holy Spirit in one verse. Uh, there's the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon them. And this is the Spirit of wisdom. Isaiah 11 verse 2. Wisdom is taking truth and applying it appropriately according to God. You can have knowledge, but until you apply it, it's not wisdom. Knowledge without wisdom is just some more stuff in your brain. But when you have knowledge and it's applicable and you apply it, that's being wise if it's truth. And then the spirit of understanding is also in Isaiah 11 verse 12. Comprehending situations, especially in the church. Boy, we need understanding nowadays, don't we? And then the spirit of counsel is also in Isaiah 11 verse 2. I believe that talks about God's people being led in a wise way, counseling. And then the spirit of might, that's power and might to break sinful strongholds and to perform miracles. And the greatest miracle, of course, is salvation. But I believe that you know, it wouldn't hurt nowadays, and I'm not a miracle monger. I worship the Lord, not miracles, but I do believe it would be wonderful as we pray for. And we're having some people healed, by the way. I don't know if you know that or not, but we're having some people that we've prayed for who have been healed, and we're, we're praying for that. We're just praying, trying to be biblical, you know, and uh, I want to see God move, don't you? And wouldn't it be wonderful if God put a marriage back together that everybody said there's no hope for that marriage? Wouldn't it be wonderful if God healed somebody that said, there's no hope for that healing. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God did something that the whole world would say, nobody can do that. Well, nobody but our God. And that's nothing wrong praying for miracles. Nothing wrong at all. I pray for a miracle every time I pray for somebody to be saved. So let's just pray for that. And then leave with the results with God. Pray for his might. And then the, the spirit of knowledge, biblical truth, comprehending that. And then I love this, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And then there are at least 
two more references to the Holy Spirit, and they both come from Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, where God says, in the last day he will pour out on the house of David and Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And notice, listen, just listen, this is not on the screen. I'm praying, he said, that, that God will pour out on you the spirit of grace and the spirit of supplication so that you will look on me whom they have pierced, that is, on Jesus. This is a prophecy. And they will mourn for him as one who mourns for an only son. I want the Holy Spirit to be poured out on you so that you'll put your eyes on Jesus, the one who will die for you on the cross, the spirit of grace and the spirit of supplication, both in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Now, there are 20 names of God in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, when it talks about Mary becoming pregnant with Jesus, it says, before she and Joseph had come together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Another word for the Holy Spirit is a name, is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God came down when Jesus was baptized like a dove. And I think it's very fitting that the Holy Spirit is likened unto a dove. Did you know there's a difference between a dove and a pigeon? Uh, a pigeon is not afraid of you, and it's not that the Holy Spirit's afraid of you, but a, a pigeon, you can go, yeah, like that. A pigeon just kind of look at you and says, what's your problem? If you do that to a dove, if you even go, boo, like that, a dove will fly away. The Holy Spirit will light on a church. He'll come on a church, but he is easily grieved. And you have to be careful with the Holy Spirit not to in any way sin against him. I'm going to give you a few sins in just a minute that will make the dove of the Holy Ghost fly away. Now, I'll be honest with you. There's so many churches that operate without the anointing of the Holy Spirit today. And they just go right on. You know, they're doing their thing. I don't, I don't want to preach or sing or worship or do anything without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bellevue needs the Holy Spirit, and every church needs the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Where was I? How about the Spirit? Is that right? Yes, that's right. And uh, in Matthew 4, Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil in the wilderness. Then there's the Spirit of your Father. That's where he says, don't worry about what you're going to say when they persecute you. The Spirit of your Father will tell you what to say in times like that, Matthew 10, 20. Then there's the Spirit of the Lord. And Jesus was quoting in Luke 4, 18, he was quoting Isaiah 61, verse 1. It's a messianic text. And he says in the synagogue, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And what Jesus was doing, it's so cool there. What he was doing there in Luke chapter 4, he was saying, I'm the one that Isaiah was talking about. Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's what he means. I believe with all my heart, Jesus was pointing to himself when he read these te this text. And then the spirit of truth, John 14, 17, Jesus said, the spirit of the truth will abide within Christians after Jesus ascends back to heaven. 
And then there's the spirit of Jesus. The spirit of Jesus. Paul wanted to preach the gospel in Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit had other plans for him at that time. Not that those people didn't need to be reached, but God doesn't always use you to reach somebody. He'll use somebody else. And so God said, no, the spirit of Jesus told him, no, I forbid you to go to Bithynia. I want you to go someplace else. And it was Philippi. And then there's the spirit of holiness. Jesus was declared by, declared the son of God with the power with power by his resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 4. And then in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, Jesus, the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of life in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. He said, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And then there's another reference to the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ Romans 8, 9 says, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. A lot of people say, well, you know, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not spiritual. No, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're lost. You're on your way to hell. You don't get the Holy Spirit after you get Jesus. You get the Holy Spirit when you get Jesus. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then there are multiple fillings. All right, one baptism at conversion, multiple fillings after that. I prayed just before I came up here. Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. You get filled, re refilled, and it's from within. It's the living water flowing out of you. That's the filling. It's, that's what that is. All right. The Spirit of life. And then the Spirit of Christ and then the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead. And then the spirit who is from God. You can read these verses. I'm not going to stay on this much longer. The spirit of the living God. Oh, I thank the Lord for that. A lot of people don't know he's still alive. The Lord is alive. The Lord is in this room. Amen. Amen. Spirit of the living God. That's a lot of good songs have been written about that. And then the spirit of God's son. And Galatians 4 says, the spirit of his son causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. I've been here 17 years, so you've heard all my stories. So, uh, But I remember, I'll never forget in Jerusalem one Sunday morning, a little Jewish girl sitting in her high chair in the dining area for breakfast. And her daddy had gone over to get some food and she said, Abba, Abba. I thought, I know what that means now. We would say father because we want to be reverent. But it really is the word for daddy. That's what it is. It's an intimate word that you say to your spiritual parent. Nothing wrong with that. All right. Spirit of his, of God's son, Abba Father. And then the Holy Spirit of promise. 
Ephesians 1.13 is a classic, uh, excellent verse on once saved, always saved, if saved. I'll throw that last part in there. All right. And then the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Then the eternal Spirit. Then the Spirit of grace. And the Spirit of glory and of God. And you can look those up and study those, all right? Now, let's talk just uh, as long as we can here about some facts about the Holy Spirit. The first fact I want to give you is the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God in you. He dwells within you. That's how God dwells in you. You say, well, Christ dwells in me. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. But really, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit live within you. All right? So, he's the Spirit of God in you. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. These are major verses about the Holy Spirit. Would you read them with me from the screen so we'll all be reading from the same translation, please? Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Now, just leave that there for a minute. I've heard some people try to misinterpret this, saying if you commit suicide, you go to hell. And that's the verse they use. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about the church. Go back to verse 16 just a minute, if you will, please. Thank you. Do you not know that the, you're a temple of God? The, the, the words there are plural, and he's talking to the church here. Now, over in chapter 6, he talks to individuals and said, you individually are temples of the living God. But here he's talking about a congregation. He said, you're the temple of God. You're not the temple of Bellevue. You don't belong to Bellevue. You're not the temple of Memphis. You don't belong to Memphis. You're the temple of God. You belong to God. This church belongs to God. Doesn't belong to you. Doesn't belong to me. Belongs to God. Just belongs to God. And the Spirit of God dwells within you. The Spirit of God is here right now. He's convicting lost people of sin and righteousness and judgment. He's talking to Christians who are erring, and he's saying, you need to get this right. He's telling some of you, you hang in there, you persevere, you keep going, you're going the right direction. He's talking in a lot of different ways to a lot of different people right now. The Spirit of God dwells in us. Go to the next verse, just if you will. If any man destroys that, if, if anybody tries to come in and they mess with the temple of God, and I'm telling you, there are troublemakers that will try to come into a church and destroy it. How many of you know there are peacemakers in the church? Amen? But let me tell you something. That's what you want to be. But don't you be a troublemaker. Don't you be a troublemaker. I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to my fellow pastor and they say, man, I've just got this person. They just, won't, they just won't leave the church alone. They just keep trying to do divisive things. They say ugly things. They write ugly letters and everything. Let me tell you something. That person is in God's crosshairs. And it's only the grace of God that he hasn't already taken them out. 
You, if any man destroys the temple of God, you mess with God's church, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy and that is what you all are. So, word to the wise. Now, God also, the Spirit of God dwells in us. The Holy Spirit is not some abstract spiritual power. He dwells in you because He saved you and He came to live within you. And He lives not in these buildings. I can remember when I was young, my mother would yell at me, Don't run in church! It was a liberating day for me when I realized that the church was people and I couldn't run in church, all right? You may not even understand what I'm talking about, but I'm just telling you. But then I said, I can't say that because I don't want kids running in church either, all right? So, but the church is not a building that you run in. The church is redeemed humanity. You're the church. If all these pews and this whole building was wiped away, nobody has touched Bellevue Baptist Church. You're the church. I'm the church. We're the church. So, and then the Holy Spirit is not only God in you, but he's the Spirit of Christ in you. Romans 8, verse 9. However, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, notice the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God are the same thing. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, this is the, the, the verse that I give to my charismatic brethren, whom I love. I thank God for them. I love my Presbyterian brothers. I, I love them all. You love Jesus, I love you. I may not agree with you on everything. You won't agree with me on every little thing. Tertiary differences, no big deal. As long as we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and He died for our sins, He rose from the dead, and He's coming back, all those things, He'll save you by grace through faith in Christ. I, I can have fellowship with you. But right here is where I believe we see that the Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of God. And when you get saved, you get the Spirit of Christ, which means you get the Spirit of God. That's what Romans 8, 9 clearly teaches. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. One baptism at salvation, and then you have multiple fillings. The Holy Spirit is Christ in you. Colossians 1, 27 says, God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, and say the last part with me, please, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ dwells within anyone, within anyone who has been saved. The Holy Spirit dwells within anyone who has been saved. So every Christian has the Holy Spirit living within. And again, you have the Father, you have the Son, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. God comes to live in your physical body. And then the Holy Spirit has God attributes that show us that he's God. The Holy Spirit, for instance, is omnipresent. David, the psalmist, said in Psalm 139, verse 7, where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? Now, that's an 
anecdotal question, making a statement, not asking for information. He's basically saying, where can I go from your spirit? He says, I, what he's saying is, I can't go anywhere and your Holy Spirit's not there. When he says, I, where can I flee from your presence? I can't flee to any place where your presence is not there. There's only one, now this is what I believe, there's only one place where God is not, and that is in hell. And that's what hell is, the lack of the presence of God. You have never lived without the presence of God, at least some measure of it. Nobody on the earth, even in the darkest dungeon and the worst situation on earth, the Spirit of God is still present. But hell is no God and no Holy Spirit and no Jesus. And if, if that's all it was, that's suffering enough right there. Even if there are, there are not literal flames, which I believe there are. But the absence of God. But the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He's everywhere. You can't go anywhere to hide from his spirit or to flee from his presence. I could talk more about that, but I won't. The Holy Spirit is also omniscient. That means he knows everything. Well, what does he know everything about? Everything. God knows everything about everything. You and I know a little bit about a few things. And we might be experts on one little bitty thing. And that's why our brains, compared to God, there's no comparison. God knows everything about everything. That's why we pray to him. He doesn't pray to us, amen? We pray to him. He prays for us, Jesus does intercedes for us because we need his help. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11, for to us, God revealed them through the spirit. That is the things of God. For the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man, which is in him. Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. Do you know how much the Lord knows about you? Jesus said everything. And he said that, and then he gave an illustration. Luke 12, verse 7. Indeed, the very hairs of your hair are all numbered. Now, I can hear some of y'all out there thinking, say, well, with my hair, that's not that big of a miracle, all right? <laughs> well, he still knows. He knows if it's 15 or 20. Amen. You'll never outsmart God, though you may try. He's smarter than you. He scored higher on the ACT than you did. He's omniscient, knows everything about everything, knows everything about the future, everything about the present, everything about the past. <clears throat> and you remember that when you go to pray to him. Don't try to con God. Can't do it. Just be open and honest to him. And that's why Jesus said, shut the door <laughs> and just pour out your heart to him Amen. and say, you know this, I know you know this, so help me. And then God is omnipotent. Oh, I love Zechariah chapter four, verse six. Zerubbabel was a Jewish leader who was helping to rebuild the temple in the sixth century BC. He had brought all these 40,000 Jews back from Babylonian captivity. They were trying to lay the foundation 
in Jerusalem for the temple. And God said to him, hey, said, hey, 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 you leader, hey, come here. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel saying, it is not by your power. It is not, it is not by your might. It is not by your power. It is by my spirit, says the Lord. You will not build a temple unless you build it by my spirit. It'll be a great day in your life when you realize how weak you are and how dependent on God you are. Get off of your high horse and humble yourself before God and just say, Lord, you are omnipotent and I am not. It takes God's power to do God's work. And every church needs to know that. You know, even Jesus, when he was on this earth, he submitted himself to the Father and was empowered by the Holy Spirit. When Peter went and preached to Cornelius, the Roman centurion, in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, he said, you know of Jesus of Nazareth. And it was, it was true. Even the Romans knew about Jesus of Nazareth. Everybody knew about Jesus of Nazareth in that area. How God, now watch this, anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Now God was with him and he was God at the same time. That's the mystery of the incarnation. We don't understand it, but somehow he submitted himself and as a fully Human being, 100% man, he let the Holy Spirit flow through him 100%. And Jesus was 100% God, and yet he used, he didn't use, he allowed the Spirit of God to flow through him just like you and I can. Are you with me? Jesus modeled what we're to do. He was constantly anointed by the Holy Spirit, and he went about doing good. Next time you'd say, I don't know what to do. How about just get full of the Holy Ghost and go about doing good? That'll keep you busy. And if you're really doing good, it'll keep you out of trouble. I don't know what to do. Well, just do some good. Find a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. Quit waiting on some grandiose vision and go to work. <laughs> I can hear my mother talking right now. Amen. Holy Spirit is omnipotent. And then he is the third person of the Trinity. We know that. Great commission, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. I love this blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So the Holy Spirit is co-equal, co-eternal, and co-divine with the Father and the Son. And then he assisted with creation. I'm just going to do this last part kind of quickly. We've already talked about the fact that when the earth was formless and void, darkness was over the surface of the deep, the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then the Holy Spirit can be sinned against. He can be Send against. Let's go back to sin. Let's go to send against. There you go. Good. And I want to give you uh, six ways you can sin against him. You can go study this on your own. He can be lied to. 
Ananias and Sapphira did that and God took their lives in Acts chapter 5. He can be resisted. The Jews to whom Stephen preached resisted the Holy Spirit to their own punishment. He can be quenched, that is, you can snuff out the fire of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says don't quench the Holy Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. He can be grieved. He sealed you for the day of redemption, but you can grieve him according to Ephesians 4.30. And you can blaspheme him. Only non-Christians can do this. Blaspheming the Holy Ghost is not mere unbelief. It's that, but it's more than that. It is attributing something that God, something that God did to the devil. And when you look at the context, it was the Jews calling Jesus Beelzebub. You're doing that by the power of the devil. When they did that, they crossed the line and those people could never be saved again because when you blaspheme the Holy Ghost, that's it. That's it. No Christian can blaspheme the, the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to talk about it more, but that's what it is. And then he can be insulted. You can insult the Spirit of God's grace. Excuse me. I'm just telling you, don't sin against the Holy Spirit. And then finally, the Holy Spirit is God's presence. The Holy Spirit is God's presence. Would you stand up, please? He said, well, I've got more blanks. Yes, you do. And we'll get to them next week. Now, I, before you leave in your mind, okay, not before you leave your mind, but before, or before it leaves you. But before you walk out this door in your mind, would you please focus? Give me about two minutes here, all right? What I'm about to say is very important. It's significant as far as I'm concerned. The Holy Spirit is God's presence. Nowadays, churches want to reach people, and rightfully so. Go therefore and make disciples. Yes, I know those verses. I personally believe that before we seek to reach people as a church, before we try to get people to come to the church, we should try to get the Spirit of God to come to the church. You say, what are you talking about? He just shows up, right? No, he's a dove. He is easily sent away. He comes with prayer. He comes with fasting. He comes with repentance. He comes with you asking him to come. Holy Spirit, thou art welcome in this place. And when you invite the Holy Spirit to come into your home, to come in where you work, you bring in the very breath of God. You bring in the presence of Almighty God. And in His presence is fullness of joy. Psalm 16, verse 11. And at His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. 
David had messed up. He had sinned. He had committed adultery and killed her husband. And he said, Psalm 51, verse 11. Read it with me, please. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, God in the New Testament will not take the Holy Spirit out of you if you sin, but he will remove the anointing. And I'm gonna tell you this. Without the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you've got nothing. He's not gonna talk to you. He's not gonna direct you. He's not gonna bless you. Whatever it takes, stay close to the Holy Spirit. And don't let that anointing and that fire be put out. Whatever you would perceive, whatever you would go after, let me get another word, is not worth it. Leave it alone. Go after God, go after Christ, go after the Holy Spirit.